0: Hello, Thursday. Good afternoon. It's Nikki Tudge. It's 1.32. I'll say 1.30 so that I overlook the fact that we are two minutes tardy today. My (laughs) fault, my fault. So I have two wonderful guests here today. I have Dr. Christine Spaulding and Erit Bloom, And you're both here today to represent Science Matters, right?
1: Well, a seminar that we're doing together. Yeah.
0: All right. So we're going to be talking about agency and control, correct? Yes. All right. What are they? What does it mean? What does agency and control mean?
2: Christina, you start.
1: (laughs) Okay. So control is having the ability to change the outcome of a particular situation that you are in. So, you know, being able to move away from a conflict that you don't wanna be involved in, for example. Agency is sometimes used synonymously as a synonym for control, but really agency refers to perceived control, which is very important because it's possible to have control and not perceive that you have control. And then, you're not going to try to basically change the situation if you don't think that you can. So that's sort of a very basic definition of the okay. two terms.
0: Okay. So agency and control. So why why are they why are they independently or collectively? Why, why are they so important in us under, understanding those concepts for all the work that we do with not just dogs but all animals actually?
1: Do you do you want me to go again? Uh, sure, I'll pick
2: this one up. Um so uh you can think of stress and control as being related in very broad strokes, right? The less control you have and the less you perceive you have control. So it doesn't even have to be true control. It can be the less agency, which is that perceived control you have, the more you're going to tend to be stressed. If you feel like you have no control over what happens to you over, you know, over your surroundings, etc., your stress levels increase. And as stress levels increase, the ability to make, good decisions, decisions that are thoughtful, to sort of define what I mean by good, that deteriorates. Our ability to think, this is true for us as well as non-human animals, our ability to think deteriorates as we get more and more stressed. That's why like, if you're in an exam, you know, you knew all the stuff you studied the day before, yeah. but then you walk into the exam and you're so stressed that there's this test you have to go through, mm-hmm. and then you can't remember anything. And that's that same effect of stress. It affects our ability to uh, what's the word bad, I want to say? Access the, the resources. That's
0: the bad stress, though, isn't it? Because there is an element of stress that actually really gets you on your game and you're sort of finely tuned, and it all—it's almost like you're in flow. It's all there, and you can just function really well.
2: Yes. And that's, there's, there's some like little middle ground, you know, you can talk about like the Yerkes and Dodson curve of arousal. Yeah. Uh, What the proper level of stress or physiological arousal is for a given situation is going to vary. Right. But there is a point where there's sort of a level of stress where the only thing it's going to do is get you to do instinctive, simple behavior Or habitual behavior very well. And that's not always the right behavior for the situation. So when we think about adding control and agency, that perception of control to the lives of the animals we live with, we increase the odds that they're going to be able to think about a situation in however their cognition works, which is not necessarily all very clear yet, but they're going to be able to think about the situation and make a A considered choice instead of just doing whatever comes out of habit or instinct, and since those habitual and instinctive behaviors are often things that make humans crazy, it is a really good idea for us to be thinking about how much control the animals around us have. Right.
0: Okay. And Dr. Susan Bredman talks about control as being a positive reinforcer, doesn't she? Is that when an animal behavior and that that, then the behavior is like mirrored back from the environment? That's actually very positively reinforcing.
1: Yeah, it is very reinforcing and and we have evidence that animals will work for access to control. Yeah. And some research excuse me, some researchers even speculate that it might be a basic need that it's something that's sort of a requirement. Yeah for having a a good life or for experiencing well-being right
0: so i'm going to take us down the learned helplessness road which we (laughs) always end up whenever i've got christina around here we always end up going down this rabbit warren so i mean having having no control i mean that's one of the reasons why animals get learned helplessness isn't it because they learn that that they don't have control there's no point in trying to have control therefore they just don't bother making any effort at all
1: yeah that i mean that is what learned helplessness is is what what happens with learned helplessness is that they learn that they don't have control in a particular situation. Right. And then what's key is that when they are put into another situation where they do in fact have control, they will still behave as if they have no control. So they will, they will shut down and, and become passive instead of actively trying to change their situation right. and so learned another way of thinking about learned helplessness is it's like subjective and mm-hmm. that it's the it's this animal's interpretation
2: of the events which doesn't necessarily reflect reality right I'm sorry. and you can think of it as like a uh a... The, that loss of perceived agency, right? Yeah. I assume that nothing I to get back to those words control and agency, I assume that nothing I do is going to have an effect. Right. As opposed to having agency and saying I could have an effect on the situation. I do have control. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Do, do you know and I'm, I'm just I'm having flashbacks to years ago when I was involved in a huge lawsuit, which had so much at stake. I mean literally a lot of money and our uh, complete life savings and everything we'd ever work for. And even though we knew we were going to win it because the insurance companies of the businesses that we were involved in this lawsuit with have said, there's no doubt about who's right or wrong here. Even though we knew that and we had to still go through two years of litigation, I have never felt so out of control before in my life. And as a control freak, that is really, really damaging, really, really damaging, yeah? So even when you sometimes know or we can sort of think critically, well, I know it's all going to be okay at the output, the fact that you've got to go through a process where you don't know from day to day what's happening. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think there's two industries that tend to do that to its customers, doctors and lawyers, because we tend to you in situations where we don't really know where we're going because it's not our area of expertise and it's so far away from us. So why do they do such a lousy job of, of highlighting roadmaps and milestones and providing information? Because it's almost like it's on a need to know basis, isn't it? I mean, anyone that's been through a medical operation knows that you just don't get, you have to like fall and scream to get any information. And yet knowing what we know about agency, you'd think that those two areas in particular would be a lot more forthright about sort of saying, because when we came out of our lawsuit, I said to my husband, if I was a lawyer, I would have a roadmap for every client. This is what happens, we do depositions, we do interrogatories, we go to pretrial hearings, blah, 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 blah. It's gonna cost you half a million dollars in the process, by the way, but I'll tell you that at the end of it. I mean, they don't tell you anything, do they? And yet we know it has such
2: an impact on stress.
1: Yeah, the uncertainty yeah. Is, is a real problem yeah. because um, in order to select the most advantageous behavior, you have to make you either have to know what's going to happen next right. or you have to be able to make some kind of educated guess mm-hmm. so that you so that you can guide your own behavior and you can right. prepare even physiologically right. prepare for what right. might happen yeah and i i think this is a very basic biological thing that when yeah. we don't know what's going to happen it causes anxiety and uncertainty and ultimately stress You work really hard on being able to deal with that uncertainty. Right. And so, um, and again, that same thing applies to our animals is if they don't know what's going to happen, they can't just not knowing removes some of your agency because you, you can't, it's very difficult to select the right behavior if you don't know what's coming or you don't know how someone's going to respond to what you do if their behavior is very unpredictable, it, it's very, it becomes very difficult to protect yourself and get yeah. your own needs met. And that's very distressing.
0: Absolutely. Now talking about stress, just and- give me 20 seconds because my puppy is on the third shelf of my bookshelf. I'm-
2: <laughs> as soon as she's back from the puppy, I have something I want to add about the why do doctors and lawyers do this? Because it, it is sort of interesting to think about why we are put in these positions. And I think that this is something I love that Nikki brought this up because I think it's something that really helps us to empathize with what the non-human animals around us or non-verbal children around us are experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of getting back to your question of why would doctors and lawyers do it this way? So I think there's two reasons. Mm -hmm. The, The first one is if we if we posit the control is reinforcing, then control is reinforcing for them too. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're in control of the situation yeah. and giving up any of that control yeah. is difficult for them. Yeah. But I think in a deeper sense, and this is more relevant to us with nonverbal animals or or for that matter, even a you know parents are verbal, but they still need a Which different is, kind of interaction.
0: Right. Which is where it's, I was going to go next because it's got to be so much worse for them not having that verbal communication, right?
2: Yeah. And the problem is that we don't, it's, I really don't think that most attorneys are evil controlling people right. who want to have you feel completely out to sea the entire time, yeah. but they just don't stop and think. Right. And I think the same thing is true with doctors. What I have seen an improvement. I think doctors are trying harder to be better at this. Yeah. But it's definitely, it's something where they just like, it's so obvious to them. Yeah. Why should they have yeah. to explain it? But, and but, I think but that it's do a the very same good. Ref- with dogs,
0: don't we? We do the same yes, exactly.
2: With dogs. It's yeah. a, it's a really good reflection of what yeah. happens with us, with our dogs. When like yeah. the person, you know, the client comes to me and says, well, when I say leave it, the dog doesn't leave it. Well, have you ever taught the dog what leave it means? <laughs> yeah. Go and they bed. say, no, we just, but it's leave it. Well, yeah. you know, if you don't explain it to the animal, yeah. then how are yeah. they supposed to know?
1: Yeah, go yeah, lie, and lie down. Then that is the know, one that
2: I see. Yeah. Like, you know,
1: go lie down. I'm like, dog doesn't yeah. know what that means. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> wow. and the, and, and, the, it's, and
2: you say it in an angry tone. Why would they go settle, right? Yeah, right. right. So, <laughs> and the, and the reason why I brought that
0: up about doctors and lawyers is because I think it's about as, as 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 alien as we can get as people with professionals as a dog will get with us. That we just we sometimes don't stop and think about the fact that they we can't communicate with them about what we're trying to do so they must feel that so much on us so much stronger than we do that absolute lack of agency or lack of control um and it, i mean clearly it's a really important topic because you guys have written a program to address it right yes. right yeah so what was the motivation for the program why did you say other than being two really smart women? Who, want, who, who are passionate about education and love to be geeky and, and educate everybody else. What made you go, this is something we need to do? What What did you see or observe or recognize was missing in the work that we all do with, with dogs?
2: I mean, why did we start? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I'm not entirely, I mean, it was, yeah. I think both of us see a lot of what I will term and this may be a little bit of a, strong term so I apologize if it's triggering for anyone but I think we we see a lot of suffering in our right. human clients in yeah. our canine clients yeah. in our feline clients you know name the species and we're like like so many pet professionals we're compassionate and we want to help right. and both of us through different routes came to this idea of control and choice and agency yeah. and I, I we met at a conference and it just kind of happened we were like oh it would be fun to do something together so it wasn't as if we had sort of a deliberate plan but it was something that we were both already interested in and then we connected and decided that we could we could be the synergy would be greater right. than either part so I was, to speak. When,
0: when i heard you two are working together i was a bit scared actually i was like oh my god this is, this is this <laughs> are too powerful women together this could be very <laughs> interesting yeah no i mean j- jokes aside i'm really glad that you jumped onto that conference word because i th- i think this sort of falls into something that's been a bit of a pet peeve of mine for a long time is i when i when we used to go to a lot of conferences right and there were always a lot of dogs there and people would be there with their dogs positive reinforcement trainers and over the course of three or four days you observe that these dogs even though they're being reinforced are being controlled every minute of the time they're there from the minute they wake up to getting into an elevator to going to the function room to being told to be quiet to lie on your mat to stay between my legs and you think you know it's all very well we're all sort of saying we're positive reinforcement trainers but these animals have, there's no agency there or control, right? Every single second of every single breath is under some kind of stimulus control. And whether that's positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement or positive punishment, it still isn't good, is it? That level uh, of constant, And like, I used to hate it. I was like, oh my God, don't, please don't bring these dogs. They're not enjoying this. They're just not in the uh, generalization. Cause obviously there are some dogs that thrive in those environments. People would say, why don't you bring your dogs? Because if I gave my dog a voting card and said, would you rather be here doing that or at home having bedlam with my husband? I know exactly where they're voting. (laughs) They would not choose to be here.
1: Yeah, and and I think this idea that just because someone is using positive reinforcement training does not mean that they're necessarily giving enough control is really important. And I think across the spectrum of training methods, Mm-hmm. One of the things that read and I have both talked about as being something that we're concerned about mm-hmm. is how we are taking away the ability for our animals to make their own decisions. And you think about that as, okay, well, you know, this is a well-being problem. It's kind of not fair to them that they can make their own decisions, but it actually goes much, much deeper than that because, Part of being able to cope with stress and part of being able to cope with uncertainty is being able to engage in problem solving behavior and being able to adjust your behavior to cope with the situation in front of you and then learning that that is beneficial to you. That's basically what agency is. And when we take away our animals' ability to engage in that kind of trial and error learning and that kind of exploration, I really think we are handicapping their ability to cope with the stress around them. And instead, we're creating these animals that are really quite literally dependent on us for telling them. Right, "Right, and they can't. And it's, it's funny because since I've started doing this work, I have noticed that the way that I interact with my own dogs has yeah. changed. And I, I shared yeah. this example with one of my classes just a couple of weeks ago. I threw his toy in the backyard mm-hmm. and it went into this like raised bed that we have, which is a very tall, it's like a three foot tall raised mm-hmm. bed. And. A few years ago, I would have run up there and gotten the toy out of there because I don't want him to, you know, not be able to find his toy right. and and suffer yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm saving him. Yeah.
2: And this time I was like, he can figure this out.
1: I know, <laughs> right. He's and, a and can the I... dog
2: can, can I pick up a, like a, a quick note from that? How many people do you know who throw a treat on the ground and then point yeah. for their <laughs> yeah. dog? When our dogs have these amazing noses, we yeah. don't give them an opportunity yeah. to solve that problem with this very innate skill that they have. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, this is the skill set that they absolutely can rise to the challenge and we don't yeah. give them that opportunity. Yeah. So it's all those little things I think about. I'm constantly asking clients, just wait, he'll find it. Please wait. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that that for me is the magic bullet, just wait. We don't always have to intervene and take action, do we? Sometimes just being there with our dogs so that they know that we're there and allowing them to use their brains in a safe manner is often all we need to do. Um, You know, it's like that video that Christine that you asked for me, Christina, I mean, one of the reasons I posted that is because I just love that reindeer. I was just like, oh my God, this <laughs> thing's so, and I don't, you know, everyone said, well, why didn't you bring it home? Well, what am I gonna do? Put it under my arm and run home with it. I mean, I don't, I don't have children. What would I have done with it? But it fascinated me because I do have a dog that is very confident and has a lot of control of her environment. I try, Judy and I talk about this all the time. And it's such a shame Judy's not here because she'd be digging this conversation. Try just to constantly allow our dogs to make their own decisions whenever they can to give them as much control over their environments as we can taking into um, consideration that we're not gonna put them into a dangerous situation, right? Because some dogs can't even decide when they want to go outside to the bathroom. They don't even have access to the outside world. How, yeah, but going back to the reindeer, Sven, I think you. Yes. we agreed it with his name was Sven, is when a dog sees something that's really unusual, how, there was like three, you've got three possibilities. You can usher your dog away, not wanting the dog to react, or you can try to lure the dog to it, or you can shape the dog to it or you can just go just stop take a breath let's just enjoy the dog seems quite comfortable let's just enjoy watching how they interact with this strange because this is a this is enrichment right this is an opportunity for enrichment and I think sometimes we jump in as these helicopter parents Mm -hmm. and we ruin that opportunity for the dog to really enjoy exploring their environment because we don't want them to react badly or we're scared they might be afraid or we think maybe they're going to get anxious i think it's why laura donaldson donaldson's programs becoming so popular has slow thinking because i think some i don't know that much about it so laura if i'm not on on topic here but like from what i've read it's sometimes just about slowing everything down and just giving them an opportunity to explore and to sort of ob- observe, observe their environment does that, does that make sense
1: yeah yeah. And I, I think this also really comes into play. I mean, it doesn't only happen with puppies, but I think it especially happens with puppies when we get that phone call and I say, well, my puppy is stopping on the walk. How do I, I... make it keep moving? And I, yeah, my answer to that question has now become in most, I'm not going to say always, but in most circumstances, my answer to that question has become "Wait." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Let the puppy check out the environment and figure out what's going on. And they will indeed start walking on their own eventually again, usually again, not always, but in most cases, I actually think that by intervening, even if we're using treat tosses or, you know, positive reinforcement in some other way Mm -hmm. that we're actually interrupting that animal's ability to learn how to interact with their environment Mm -hmm. in a positive and confident way.
2: Yeah. Which yeah is- and the position it puts us in, because this is the pet professional guild, right, is as pet professionals, our job is to turn those people's thinking sort of 90 degrees or whatever number of degrees right, it is. So degree, instead yeah. of a walk is supposed to be Dut, 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 dut. to sort of teach them that a walk is stop, sniff, look mm-hmm. around, roll in the yeah. grass, lie down, chew yeah. on the grass, stand up, walk another five feet, get really obsessed with a bush. Yeah. Then walk 20 feet really fast yeah. and then get obsessed yeah. with something else on the sidewalk. And yeah. I feel like people have it in their heads that dogs are supposed to walk in heel and they're supposed to go at exactly the pace I say and they're supposed to listen. And if their nose is not at my, or their shoulder, whatever yeah. it is, is not at my hip, something's wrong. Yeah. So in a lot of cases, and this is such a good example in general of sort of the control conversation, it's really about teaching people that it's okay if the dog has control of the walk sometimes. And that's actually how I phrase it for a lot of my clients. Yeah. We trade off who has control of the walk mm-hmm. and we make sure that the dog gets a lot of that yeah. control. Sometimes I have to control if the dog doesn't, you know, step off the sidewalk into a busy right. street, right. for instance, Yeah, Safety. but Yeah, but I'm not going to say I have to get to the end of that block within the next two minutes. I'm going to say if it takes me five minutes and that's the end of my walk time, I'm just going to turn around and go home. So I'm I'm sort of... uh, I'm sort Uh, of getting deep into this example, but it's such a great example. And I see it it with adult dogs too.
0: It's an amazing example. And we had this very conversation with Eduardo Fernandez talking about enrichment the other night, and it came up really quickly in a Kathy Seydal webinar yesterday. So it's obviously a really important topic, right? And You know, I laugh because some days I'll take my dogs out and my husband will laugh because on my Strava, he'll go, you didn't even get a quarter of a mile. You were out 50 minutes. Well, no, because the bush on the corner was way more interesting than anything else. We spent half an hour there. You know, I mean... And and it reminds me of um a presentation I went to back in two thousand and eleven or twelve. It was years ago with Helen Phillips, who's a, a, a positive reinforcement gun dog trainer in the UK. Fabulous trainer, you probably know Helen, and she has an amazing presentation called "Going for a Bumble," and she, <laughs> and, she refer- and I love that expression. It's like. You go for a bumble and you bumble wherever your dog wants to go. And you're not going from A to Z because most people go out of their house, turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left and go back in the front door, don't they? And they, they have a predetermined amount of time to fulfill that walk. And then they're done. And that's not what dogs are about. Dogs do not walk like that. They're not interested in walking like that. And ultimately, I always say to my clients, is it your walk or the dog's walk?
1: hmm. Yeah.
0: Because most of my clients don't look like they'd walk very far at all if they didn't have dogs, yeah. You know? So I, it's it's the dogs walk. So let's take the dog on their walk in a way that they would like to be walked, which is to go for a bumble. I love that expression, going for a bumble. Yeah, that's
1: great. It's a good I, one. Yeah, I, I really like to compare our expectations for dogs with our expectations for people. Mm-hmm. So if you think about. Like how many people would have a four-year-old kid and like expect them to just ignore everything and just walk in a straight line at a quick pace and not interact with anyone else, not ask questions about anything, not want to stop and look at anything. I mean, that that would be weird. Yeah. And and even, you know, going a step beyond that, it's like sometimes I think I want to put together this like series of videos. You know, it's like, if I call one of my family members and say, can you come here? Never mm-hmm. do they drop whatever they are doing immediately and yeah. run full speed to me Never. just a minute I, I'll
0: be there in a minute right.
1: yeah. my husband doesn't do that yeah. my kid doesn't do that my yeah. dogs do <laughs> um usually It's probably a higher rate of reinforcement with your
2: dog <laughs> right yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes
1: um and I also I mean I know a lot of people do this but I also have a sort of like an optional come here cue and a mandatory come here yeah. cue um and they definitely often do not respond when I say, come on, right. which that's my, yeah. like, I'd like you to come here, yeah. but if you don't, it's, you know, yeah. fine. You can I, give I me guess... a little
0: finger. You can blow me off. That's right, good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and they frequently don't come yeah. in response to that. Yeah. Um, so I just, I don't know. I just think it's very interesting what we expect but, yeah. of dogs. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you could apply this to resource yeah. guarding. It's like, you know, someone, yeah starts to take food off my plate when I'm eating I will show aggression like (laughs) oh
0: absolutely well if you ever meet my husband ask him to show you the scar he has on his hand from when I stabbed him with a fork on our very first date and it was yes and he, he leaned over. He, my husband was at the U.S. Embassy, and we were living in Nigeria. And the food in Nigeria was not was not was not good for a Western person's taste. And I it, I grew to love the food in Nigeria, but the U.S. Embassy had the U.S. Embassy had the privilege of the diplomatic pouch that lots of te- Texas vacuum wrapped steaks used to get sent through. So uh, American diplomats houses were very popular places for dinner parties because the food was exceptional. And um, he leaned over my plate to take a piece of my mate and I just went, hey, back off. And he was like, oh my God, this woman just stabbed me with a fork. And every year to this day, 27 years later, I get a fork themed gift for our wedding anniversary.
2: But,
0: but you know, I mean, jokes aside, we do, we will resource guard. We all, yeah. mm-hmm. we all do, don't we? To you know, we're at a cocktail party and somebody's talking to our husband. We sort of slither in a bit closer, don't we, mm. just to make it obvious that this person's taken back away. Yeah.
2: yeah. And my my sort of pet peeve about humans uh, not thinking of non-human animals as having some of the same human behaviors is the people who get angry when their dog growls. Right. Like, do you get angry if someone says to you hey back off I need a little space no that's exactly what yeah. the dog is doing so it's it's interesting how I think that one again one of our tasks as professionals is to help people see that this is a living thinking feeling being in front of them. right, right. absolutely with its own set of
0: needs and yeah
2: yeah. That we have to fulfill. Yeah. And human rules are weird. Let's face yes. it. Human oh, rules sorry. are weird for all sorry. the species that live with us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we, and we change them. The, the rules change every day for, for each other. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 And then we wonder why our dogs get confused. Yeah. So Christina and um, Iri uh, answered the question about why this course, I think you, um, yeah. I think, I think you, you avoided that question. <laughs> <Yeah>. So
1: <laughs> I, I do have an answer actually. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I assume, cause I don't remember exactly why, but probably where the, where my motivation from this came from is learning about stress. And I learned about stress in graduate school. Right. And I learned about how profound the impacts of stress are. Right. I'm really talking about like chronic stress, toxic stress. And when I, went back and started working with clients, I realized like, yes, we talked about stress in the dog world and we wanted to avoid stress, but I didn't, I just wasn't hearing about how life-changing stress, like I, I sort of jokingly say that stress is everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, obviously it's not literally everything, but it's huge. Absolutely. If you look at And people, you know, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and many other mental health disorders are considered stress induced Mm -hmm. disorders, which is not to say that there's no impact of genetics because there is, but stress plays a major role in mental health and quality of life and if you So once you start getting into stress and realizing how incredibly detrimental, toxic, overwhelming stress is, and we can talk about that if you want to, but um, then, of course, you start thinking, well, if stress is the problem, overwhelming stress is the problem, yeah. then the solution is, of course, minimizing stress, but you can only go so far with that. So then right. the solution is, how do we cope? Better with stress so that it's not overwhelming right and that's where that choice and resilience piece comes in so all of this for me has been really motivated by understanding the absolutely devastating impacts of toxic stress not only on behavior but on physical health and even mortality I I mean Uh, yeah uh, yeah stress yeah shortens lives literally Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so was
0: this course, and we'll talk about the course in specifics in just a minute, was, did this course come after the book or was it sort of part of the process of writing the book? Maybe
1: before, I mean.
2: Yeah, you, you started working on the book, I think after the first time we ran this seminar or maybe right around, but mm -hmm. we were well into the planning, I think by the time you started gathering your sources and so on.
1: Yeah, some of it, um, some of the stuff in the seminar I definitely got from researching the book, but I, I so I probably had started at least at a very basic level, Fine. but the book was definitely not even close to being complete yeah. when
2: we started to give this seminar. Okay. Which is, which of course is one of the reasons why this is a growing and changing seminar. Right. Because yes. every, every time we come back to it, we've learned something new and right. that gets reflected in yeah. what specifically we teach.
0: Right. Yes. Okay. So let's talk some specifics about, is it a seminar? Is it a workshop? I mean, let's talk about it. What's it called and how long does it go for and what does it cover? So let, what's it called? First of all, what's the official name? If someone's you going wanna, to the website to look
1: for it. Yeah.
2: You want to, so it's, yeah, and I'm trying to remember what our subtitle is. It's, it's the power of choice, how increasing choice can improve behavior or something along those increasing choice and reducing stress can improve behavior. I'm not going to be able to come up with the exact subtitle properly, right, but it's the, the web- power of choice.
0: Okay, so I'm on the website now. Is it on the website?
1: It's, um... It has its own website. You can get to okay. it through okay. our websites, but I'll give you a. I just point. want to be able to direct oh, The back. power of
2: choice: how it can decrease stress in dogs. I think is yes. the actual title. Okay. Yeah. There we go. I just right. pulled it up, and it's a two-day, um, workshop slash seminar. We have even when we've done it online, we've had uh, working teams with practical portions, and we alternate between lecture which is sometimes very sciencey and sometimes a little bit more practical depending on the topic and and then putting whatever has just been discussed into effect in some practical hands-on manner right and one of the nice things about it is that some of the exercises are human exercises not necessarily human plus dog so even people who attend and are not able to become a working team because working team space is limited, those people are also getting opportunities to put some of these ideas into practice.
0: Okay.
2: So it's two days and a lot of hands-on or working elements.
0: In in person only.
2: We've done it online. We're now doing it in person in June in the Boston area for anyone who's in the Northeast. We would love to see you at a facility called masterpiece dog training, but all that information is in the the sign up and not the sign up the registration area the page okay. with the webs with the website
0: okay so let's get some um anticipatory glee going here
2: what's
1: um
0: <laughs> what what types of things are people going to learn
1: well we oh, we cool. talk a lot about stress and the impacts of stress and why that right. matters so incredibly much and, and again i mean it's only half jokingly that i say that stress is everything it, it influences yeah much every aspect of life so we talk right. a lot about that mm-hmm. and we talk about learned helplessness um and we talk about the neurobiology of stress and how it impacts the body and the brain and behavior and how it impacts learning how it impacts fear learning um i think we talk about habit don't we yeah um so habitual behavior and how that's right. impacted by stress and how that's different from goal directed behavior and um, and then we talk about things that can be done to improve an animal's ability to cope with stress. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have a lot of the sort of hands-on mm-hmm. dog exercises. So we do a yeah. lot of alternating between lecture and then more active hands-on okay. interactive learning. And there's more too. Um, Do you want to cover some of the other?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the idea is the fundamentally spoiler for everyone here, (laughs) spoiler alert, fundamentally, the way that you improve stress coping is by providing more choice and control and that perceived agency. And one of the best ways to do that is by, Enriching the animal's environment. So we talk about things like enrichment and how mm-hmm. we can best use enrichment. What enrichment is appropriate for each learner? Because you know, I may think a Rubik's Cube is really cool, but someone else may think that it's just a nightmare. A Rubik's Cube is probably not appropriate enrichment for that other person. Right. And our, yeah. our our companion animals are the same way. Mm-hmm. So we talk about enrichment, we talk about choice-based handling Mm -hmm. making a a more a life where the animal has more opportunities for control Mm -hmm. and all of those things we sort of try to bring down to a practical level with examples and then exercises where people can go home and say I'm going to create a more control rich environment Mm -hmm. for the animals I live with and thereby reduce their stress and improve their ability to cope with the times when there's nothing I can do to give them control and help create resilience yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah and let's talk about I, I you know Eduardo Fernandez has done so much work on enrichment we did a uh, we had a scholarly review remember the one we did with you in January Christine in the scholarly yeah. review yes. of your paper we did one with, with Eduardo on enrichment on I don't even know what day it is two days ago um, and he kept reiterating, which I think is really important that just throwing a Kong down, you can't say, well, I've given yes. my dog enrichment. Yes. So it has to provide an enriching experience for the dog to be considered enrichment. Um, well, for any animal, in fact. So um, it's become so such a fad now that people go, oh, I enriched my dog, I threw a box with some food down and then the dog's in the corner scared because it doesn't want to go near the box. Well, that's not an enriching experience, right? it needs to be it's that reinforcement you can't say well I reinforce my dog it has to have a reinforcement value to be considered reinforcement yeah but it's it, yeah. so important isn't it And it's just oh,
1: everything and part of the definition of enrichment mm-hmm. usually in the scientific literature that they, they will include that enrichment must increase well-being right and so if if it's not increasing yeah. well-being that it is not, technically not enrichment. enrichment yeah Absolutely. And
2: can I just say, I think that one of the problems, one of the reasons why we're talking about this and we're facing so many issues with our companion dogs, especially in the United States, is that 40 years ago, dogs lived a different life in this country. They had a lot more freedom, a lot more agency. I'm pretty sure that they perceived their agency, which is why I'm saying a lot more agency. And as the years have gone by, our dogs have come to the point where they're living in boxes. And as you pointed out earlier, Nikki, they like from dawn till dusk, everything they do is controlled by a human being who has opposable thumbs. There are still some dogs who I think get a lot of natural species appropriate enrichment, like dogs who live on farms and are doing herding or livestock guardian work or You know, uh, keeping vermin down if they're a terrier, where they pretty much spend the whole day just going out there and doing their job. For those animals, I don't worry as much about how can I provide enrichment because their lives are fairly natural for the purpose of that animal, if you will, and cats who... I won't talk about the environmental impacts of outdoor cats which are a problem, but cats who get to be outdoor cats, same right. thing, they get a lot yeah. of their own enrichment. Yeah. But for those animals who live in boxes and there's a lot of them, yeah. we have to come up with a way to substitute for all of what right. they would have been getting by just exploring and sniffing the trail of the rat that went by and the, you know, hearing right. the birds in the trees and whatever other experiences they might have been taking in.
0: I mean, I go back to um something Christina said about expectations. I'm I'm writing a book right now on running with your dog because it's what I do, it's what I love to teach, it's what I spend most of my life doing. And somebody else has already beaten me to the post of getting a book out about running with your dog. So I was like, <laughs> not happy about that. Anyway, it turns out he's not a he I, I have an advantage. I'm a dog trainer and I'm a runner and I'm a running coach. So hopefully I can I can leverage that. But anyway, he ran um long distances with his two border collies he did it every day for like 26 days and because he did that the novelty of doing that it got picked up by a major newspaper and he actually wanted to promote his running but it ended up promoting the breed of the dog because the newspaper went at it from a different spin but it was horrifying to read some of the comments that people wrote about how cruel it was for him to take his border collie dogs out for 10 mile runs every day and my husband sent me this article and I read it and I thought hang on a minute, if these were dogs working on a farm, they'd be running a lot more than 10 miles a day.
1: Yeah.
0: And and he's and he's doing it over six or seven hours, right? So he's not going out there running three-minute miles. These dogs aren't being dragged along at a three-minute mile. And I thought, I think those dogs probably love going out off leash on the trails in England, running 10 miles over five or six hours. A border collie working on a sheep farm would be like, you lazy ass, we do triple back <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the expectation from a pet owner was that is so cruel a dog can't do ten miles a day, so I, I don't I don't know how we look at our dogs anymore. Do we look yeah. at them as being just like a mechanical being that we have to feed water and oil? Because then, do <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Though it's like why would yeah. Yeah. why would you get so angry about that? These dogs are having uh, a bloody ball. They're having
2: a ball. There's there's a huge disconnect between if I can use this phrase, who dogs are and what right. dogs need and what, and what people do. think dogs are and what people think dogs need. Yeah. And you see this in everything. You see this in the, like uh, I, Nicole Wilde actually has this amazing video of a client who came to her for a separation anxiety yeah, um, you're gonna case. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, but this is Wesley. He's yeah. not real in case anyone is wondering so i'm using wesley as a model wesley is very tolerant of rude handling fortunately so this woman is complaining to nicole about how the dog can't ever he can't be away from me i mean it's just awful he can't be away from me the dog moves away she drags him back it's terrible (laughs) He just can't stand being away from me and it's that disconnect between what's actually (laughs) happening and what the person thinks is happening is very strong yeah and again i think that's part of our job is to help To help to say to people, like, I just, I just started a client who talk about micromanaging her dog. I won't go into the details, but they basically, they're worried about how the dog greets people because the dog might sniff someone's uh, delicate portions. I'm trying to think how to say that private parts. (laughs) Um, And And she was like and it's so rude i was like it's normal dog behavior so to her her dog is doing this to normal human behavior but some (laughs) human that's also true so i think that you know we look at our dogs we're like oh my gosh my dog's embarrassing me or that whole my dog feels guilty or all these other things and a big part of our job is to say to people no this is normal right this is acceptable in their circles yeah Can we teach them not to sniff people inappropriately in our home? Probably. But we have to understand that that is as natural to them as crawling is to a baby human. Right. Right.
0: And I think we've sort of, it hasn't happened overnight, has it? It's happened. And again, we had this very conversation last week on on, um, one of these that, you know, I grew up in an environment where every day at four o'clock I would look out of my parents' window and the neighbor's dog would go walking past the window and, and my dad would go, Oh, he's gonna pick the kids up from school. And I found <laughs> it, the dog came back with the two kids, and that was perfectly normal behavior for everybody concerned. Now I'm not suggesting that we let our dogs run run around off leash in areas that are dangerous, but you know, going to get the morning newspaper on a Sunday, there'd be 20 dogs all outside, the news agents <laughs> waiting for people to come out because they'd be told stay. Uh, We just don't see that anymore, do we? I mean, stories about dogs that would suddenly, uh, people who had dog doors and there was an agreement that the neighbor's dog could just come and go because the dogs were such good friends and you'd get home People would laugh about getting home from work and you wouldn't know what dogs you'd find inside your house. You know, and you just think, oh my God, this was brilliant. This is brilliant. And yet now some dogs don't even see other dogs.
1: Yeah, and I think probably... That that is contributing to behavior issues. I mean, the whole thing. I think it has to be. I mean, it has to
0: be, surely it has to be.
1: I have a suspicion Mm -hmm. that at least for some dogs, that humans are not enough. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like that's a very controversial statement right there. I (laughs) know. But yeah. I because I mean the thing is is like. Why would they show such intense interest in other dogs if we could simply replace other dogs?
0: Right.
1: Now, some dogs don't care. I I really don't think my Beagle, I mean, he has his sister, my mom has his litter mate, so they're bonded. But like, he could probably care less whether or not he ever saw another dog in the rest, you know, his entire life. Mm -hmm. But many dogs show intense motivation to interact with other dogs. And That to me suggests that that is a fundamental need that is not being met in many dogs. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, the solution is not oh, let your dog greet every single dog you know you ever see. But like, I I worry that we are not doing enough there. And this comes back to choice and agency as well because they often don't have the ability to choose how and if they're going to interact with other dogs.
2: Right, right. And I'm just going and, and to this- say, Christina, to borrow from your book, one of the things that research suggests, although we don't have this research in dogs, but it suggests in other species, is that adolescent play with others of your species, the technical term is conspecifics, is extremely important. And okay. so many people don't allow their dogs to play with other dogs off-leash. <clears throat> Right. in most situations so just from that standpoint like we know that scientifically it works for other species that they will they will form better social behavior throughout their life by being allowed free form play with others of their type yeah. as adolescents yeah. so i'm just adding that yeah
1: yeah and, and it, I'm, it, just, it, I'm
0: just i'm just going to go to facebook because there's a couple of comments on facebook sure Scott says here that um, dogs are not running 10 miles a day unless running along with a four-wheeler. I have to push back on that, Scott, because I know several sheep farmers in the UK and most of the sheep that are kept in environments like the UK are living out on the hills and dogs are by far doing that sort of land on a regular basis. They're even going three or four miles just to find the sheep to bring them back. So... I don't think that's necessarily accurate. And yeah, I mean, dogs in Africa, yes, dogs do spend a lot of time sleeping. Um, I recently went to Ecuador on vacation in December and I got hours of video of street dogs in Ecuador that were having a wonderful time in life, socializing, playing, and most of the day, they're lying around not doing anything because dogs do sleep for about 75% of the time. But a lot of the working dogs, particularly the herding dogs, if they're on farms that are covering a large amount of land, by far they are covering a huge amount of mileage on a daily basis.
2: Yeah. And I just want to add, I know dogs in the United States (laughs) because of the breed rescue that I'm involved in, who will drive a herd of cattle 10 or 15 miles in a day
0: right so, so and that's, that's
2: more the, than 15 miles of right. running for the dog right
0: yeah right so so that, that was my point of reference Scott when I made that and I you know I come from an area in the UK which was all um sheep farming so I had a lot I grew up on a lot of sheep farms around a lot of sheep farming Um Vanessa says I think people think of dogs as just plug and play yeah I you know that was what Christina was saying it's by expectation isn't it I think some people um don't realize that we're dealing with a living sentient being and they have emotional needs and behavioral needs and welfare needs and we need to make sure that we meet those needs Um, what else have I got here on Facebook for you somebody posted the link for the slow thinking so thank you very much Vanessa says, and I'm not sure what this relation to, but they don't have space to be dogs. Um, Yeah, I mean, but actually, Christina, going back to the comment you made about humans aren't always enough. um, My dog, Doogie, my blue male, was came into this house with Gizmo, OG. So right from day one, there's always been a small dog in the house. And even though OG died a year ago, um, we did see a little bit of a change in behavior, but we noticed over the last six months that whenever we took her out on leash, She showed no regard for big dogs, but always wanted to greet small dogs. And in the Mm -hmm. end, I said to my husband, we we need to get another dog. And I don't know if any of you that have seen some of the videos I put on Facebook recently. I mean, they, within a week of, we fostered this dog for a month first, just from day two, they just love each other. I mean, she is clearly a dog that needs to have another dog. And this is a dog that lives with us in our home. We both work from home. We're together 24 hours a day. So it's not like she doesn't have company all the time. And she runs and she hikes and, you know, she has a very enriched life. But that was that little piece of the jigsaw puzzle that was missing. And we've, we've suddenly noticed now the playing is back. It's just it's made a huge difference. Absolute huge difference.
1: Yeah. And it makes me think of, you know, I have a human teenager and and it just makes me think like never in a million years would I say, right. no, you can only spend time with us. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't need friends, you know, yeah. it's a little bit different. Right. But I, it's just, it's like, I really do think it's something that most dog I, I don't even know if I want to say most dogs, but many dogs need is that dog dog interaction.
0: Well, I think any species, surely any species needs to be, unless it's an animal that lives in isolation, most species, you know, want to be around other animals that they can communicate with, don't they? I mean,
1: yeah. Can you imagine how exhausting it must be (laughs) to be a dog living in an only human home? And, you know, maybe with us professionals, it's not quite as bad, but like, if you're living with someone who's not a professional dog person or, you know, can interpret behavior at a professional dog level Mm -hmm. or dog person level it's it must be exhausting for them to always be trying to figure out what's expected and what's going to happen and especially when you
0: consider i mean i don't i would i would think and i did get there were some stats i read somewhere when i was putting together an enrichment program a couple of years ago i mean something like 75 percent of dogs spend a minimum of nine hours a day on their own i mean Mm -hmm. And then even yeah. when the family gets home, the dog's not always the priority, you know? Right. There's The school kids and the father and the mother and the dog's just sort of there, like an accessory. It's, um, yeah. And I, I actually, um, as a good example, the other day, it's obviously winter here now. And I'm always amazed when I run in the summer here with my dog, um, how few dogs we come across. In the winter, they are everywhere. Not on the streets, but in back gardens. And I often say to my husband, do these dogs ever get out and walk? Because we yeah. don't ever see them on the road and we only even hear them in the winter because in the summer it's too hot. Yeah. So that's And it- it's
2: interesting, they, sorry, it's interesting that you bring that up because I live in, I really am in a four walled box when it comes right. to dogs. I live in a condominium building. The only way out of here is to go out the door and then either open the door to a stairwell and then open another door right. at the bottom, or press an elevator button, get out of the elevator, and then open yet another door. Right. So my dogs who live with me, the only option they have to get out are walks, which is why they get four walks a day. Right. And then, you know, I felt guilty about that initially. I mean, I give them, we get off-leash trail time. We get all kinds of stuff. They get a lot from me. But at some point, I realized that the people who do have a yard or garden, depending on what country you're in, They often do just say, I'm going to throw the dog out to potty and we're not going to go for a walk. And those dogs actually do wind up having a less enriching experience because they've smelled their yard 8,000 times. It's not an interesting place to be. Yeah. So I do think it's interesting what you just said, because I do see those dogs where I'm like, does anyone, do you even get one walk a day? Do you get one walk a week? What do you get?
0: Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, mean, I mean, we laugh because whether we go out and we regularly go out about 6.37 in the morning and we're often out for an average an hour and a half. Some days we're out for considerably longer. We always see the same people. There's like six sets of people we see. Three of them have dogs, the other three do not. And, you know, in, in, in this huge area where, you know, Citrus County is supposed to be, people move here for the outdoor activities. I'm not sure whether they just look at them through the window, but we don't see very many people out <laughs> and about. But yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I lived on 25 acres in Tampa before we moved here. So my dogs, when I took my dogs out for a walk, they were off leash and we, the circumference of our property was almost a mile. So I could do laps there and we could go through cross fencing. But when I took my dog out on a leash to take her to a, a local park to run her entirely different dog, it was so um, much more interesting because she went yeah. there once or twice a week. You know, even on our land with animals going across at night and coyotes and armadillos and all kinds of possums and stuff, they still need to go outside of that they need that additional stimulation right it's not it's just not enough for them, whether you live in 2000 square feet or 20,000 square feet if they're regularly going on that land. It's, it's nice to get them outside it. Which brings me to the last thing I wanted to say is that like with little dogs, people say, well, my dog doesn't need to go out. It doesn't need a lot of exercise. And it's not about the exercise. Yeah.
2: No, and, and also I'm gonna say, I have gone on a 14 mile run with someone who had a Yorkie with them. It was not my Yorkie, yeah. it was their Yorkie. Yeah. And that Yorkie had a ball. The, mm-hmm. the dog did not say I weigh less than 20 pounds, therefore I should not I be go. going on yeah. a- trail for 14 miles the dog explored the trail had a ball didn't even look winded at the end so size I mean obviously this was a dog who hadn't started out running 14 miles they they you know built up to it but size does not necessarily mean they need less even physical exercise let alone enrichment size definitely does not affect enrichment at all
0: yeah, I was at a client's house last night I'm working with them, they have a six month old English mastiff puppy and they also have a 13 year old Boston Terrier in the house. And I, I asked, and, and the, the, the the daughter is autistic who the mother has asked me to help train her with the dog. And I'm having a lovely time with them, it's just delightful. Both the dog and the daughter are just absolutely delightful to work with. But the little Boston came in the room and I said to the, the daughter, does a the, the Boston ever get to go out for walks too? And she said, no, the dog's little, it doesn't need to go out. So um, I said to her sister and her sister said, no, no, it doesn't need to go out. So I said, um, do you guys use Instagram? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Do you use Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. What about if I told you that you didn't need to use those things? Could you see your friends at school? How would you feel? And they were just, the, their faces were just like, oh my God. And it's <laughs> yeah. the same, isn't it? I mean, the, this is the dog's social media. This is how they interact, interface with the world. And to deny them that is just—I just, not, I just don't think it's fair. I mean, I think we, yeah. you know, you know, I mean, I, I I don't know about parenting. I don't have children. I'd like to think that um, I would give my children boundaries about cell phone technology and software and apps, but I certainly wouldn't deny them using them because I do think when used appropriately, they're probably good things, right? When not used appropriately, they're not such good things. But yeah,
2: the important thing but is- But it's a great analogy and yeah. those analogies really help connect, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, her
0: face at the thought and her dad goes, yeah, we'll take your phone off of you. And I was like, well, that wasn't what I was trying to say. But yeah, <laughs> the, the point being that to a dog, it's social media. Um, and yeah. it's where they go to pick up their communications, a pee to do all the stuff that they enjoy doing. So, yeah, really important stuff. All right. So we've, we're have we almost out of time. It always goes so quickly. So tell us where can people go to sign up for this workshop? And why have you only got one scheduled? <laughs> <laughs>
1: what if, Christine, um, you want to take that <laughs> yeah i mean it's we're just sort of doing one at a time and then deciding where we want to go with it and and we may start to change the format and and because we've had some invitations as opposed to scheduling our own
0: yeah
1: um and there are some advantages to that um and we have some other things in the works that aren't ready to be released yet but so we're yeah it's not like this is going to be it and then it's right. over okay
2: <laughs> and yeah. and the place to go for it is uh we don't do sit.com slash power of choice and if you just go to we don't do sit.com it actually pops up right at the top it, it's in the sort of top banner whatever the proper term is in website terminology yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um and you know this is our upcoming event in the summer we would love if if someone out there wants to host us <laughs> we would love to do another event or two this year into 2024 so you're we've for done enrichment this with
0: opportunities yeah
2: you yeah, looking exactly. for opportunities to yeah <laughs> it's true it's so true it's yeah. such a such a rewarding experience because yeah. we learn so much yeah. from the people from their dogs so yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So please check it out. We would love yeah. to have you. Okay.
0: Super duper. Yeah. And, and watch out. And I, I just a little bit of scuttlebutt there. I heard Christina say something about some some other stuff that's in the works.
2: Yeah. We can't. I don't think we're ready to. We talk can't talk about, about it yet. yet. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> we're we're cons- we're basically. I, I guess I can say this much. We're looking at doing something that is much larger in scope yes that's what i can say well that's it not a be- lot of information is it <laughs> it will be more comprehensive okay. and give people a lot more tools than just a two-day event yeah. can although yeah. we may also have two-day events as part of this comprehensive well now you just
0: deliberately thing. trying to frustrate us so <laughs> that's right
2: we'll curiosity you
0: know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right well d- uh, great having you guys here it's been a lovely conversation so thank you for that And I'll post the link in the um, Facebook link as well. And if you guys pop there, if there's anything else you want to pop in there, feel free to do that. And then when you are ready to tell us what else you're working (laughs) on, maybe you'd like to come back. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. We would love it. Sounds good. All right. Well, lovely. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for everything you do to help professionals, to help pets and to help their owners. Much appreciated.
2: Thank you, Nikki. Likewise, Thank you. Nikki. Thank you.
1: Well, All yes. All right. Take that care. Great speaker. Bye. 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 If you're gonna teach me, teach me for free. People can be good and kind. Teach me, teach me